Hello, everyone. Welcome to the In Between Project podcast. I am Noah Richard, your host, and I'm especially pleased to welcome today's guest, whose work has literally changed my life, gave me the vocabulary to even conceptualize this podcast and this project, and allowed me to find a home in the in-between. My guest today is Dr. Mariana Ortega, who is a professor of philosophy and women's gender and sexuality studies at Penn State University. She is the author of In Between, Latina Feminist Phenomenology, Multiplicity and the Self, in which she presents a theory of multiplicitous selfhood informed by women of color theorizing, in particular, Latina feminisms and Heideggerian phenomenology. Her research focuses on questions of self, identity, as well as visual representations of race, gender, and sexuality. Her current research is at the nexus of aesthetics, photographic theory, race, and the epistemology of ignorance. Wow, what a bio. Hello, Dr. Ortega. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Noah, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. Um, I guess just to start our conversation off, there's a question that I've been asking, you know, to people I meet who identify with this term, the in-between. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it's a great way to start off the conversation, just bridge this podcast as a whole, which is, what does home mean to you? Uh, you know, is, has home changed over your life? Uh, does home feel like a place, a people? a language, a country? Do you ever feel not at home? Do you have many homes? It's a huge question, but however you would like to answer that. For me, um, the question of the meaning of life is very much connected to this question of home. And the reason is because I feel that I lost the home when I moved from Nicaragua to the U.S. and I felt completely displaced, feeling the displacement, not having a community that I felt I belonged to, a language I, I felt I belonged to, people that I could be with and felt that I belonged there with them. And also, let me add, not having the fruits <laughs> that I could eat. Uh, oddly enough, the food for me was uh, uh, essential um, in in particular fruits that you don't, you cannot get in the U.S. that signal to me a lack of home. And so, uh, from very early on, I felt that I haven't had a home. Uh, and for a long time, I missed having a home until I realized that, that I was making a home as I went along in my life. Uh, and that home had to have a different meaning than the traditional meaning, uh, which is the place where you are completely at ease, mm -hmm. where you feel a certain authenticity, a certain belonging, a particular spatiality, a particular country. Mm -hmm. And so my notion of home has changed a great deal over time. Um, from 
this idea that it meant my country, my city, my language, <laughs> particular kinds of food that I craved, to um, a more mobile, uh, complicated, complex uh, understanding of home, um, in which home is made um, in the particular spaces that one shares a life with uh, people one loves. Wow, that was very that was very touching the way you put that, and especially what you said about like once knowing a place that felt like home, right, or where it felt like you could be the authentic you, and even with the fruits, that is, mm -hmm. I I really understand that. Um, I'm in Chile right now, and mm -hmm. I just had like. I just had some cherries and mango and although you can get it in the US, it's not the same at mm -hmm. all. And your experience of, of being thrust out of everything you knew into a world or into a space that, like you said, you didn't feel at ease, that is such a such an intense experience. Um, I, I really thank you for sharing that because I feel like that kind of experience can be very isolating. If you could share a little bit more about like those years before you understood that home had to be something different now or like before you maybe came to a place of i don't know how much you're at peace with the idea of home right now but maybe before you came to a place of just acceptance that it was not going to be what it used to be what was it what was it like to just to, to exist or to be like what what, what was your what were your first experiences upon arriving to the U.S.? What was your experience with the language within your family and outside of your family? Yes. Um, I have to say that um, the uprooting of what, you know, of one's life from a familiar space and culture and language is absolutely shattering. And the only way that I can describe describe it is that I became 40 years old at 13. Mm -hmm. um, I became, I was already a very serious uh, kid, but I became incredibly serious. And it was an existential moment that had a deep impact. It made me think of other questions of existence. That is to say that when one is young and one is feels at ease, one shares familiar spaces with friends that one has had for a long time, and then you are, you are uprooted, um, then all these questions come to mind. Uh, not only the question of what it means to be at home and what, what is the meaning of home itself, but uh, the meaning of life in general, and that's why I'm also very moved by Camus' um, view that that is uh, the meaning of life is the question, the most important question that we can ask right. as philosophers or not philosophers that any of us can ask. And so um, for me, it was a, a, an intense period of isolation and alienation and so i became very quiet and what i did was to survive through reading mm -hmm. and i lived in different worlds through reading um, and i learned the language as fast as i could i did not speak any english when i came and i went to high school and it was very very difficult um, 
And unfortunately, a lot of the people in, in the high school where I was, um, there was a lot of bullying. And my sister and I were bullied by many people, um, in, including people who would ask us for our uh, green card. And so immediately we were reminded uh, that we were not at home. And it was a constant reminder because there was the constant questioning after school, where's your green card? Where's your green card? And so precisely the idea that this is not your home. What are you doing here? And so for me, I kept hoping and wishing and dreaming of, of having a home mm -hmm. and thinking that I would just survive, that I would work, I would study, I would live in my books always hoping that I would go back home. Right, right. And after a long time of, after having many experiences, um, I, I cannot tell you exactly when I realized that I was, I don't want to say wrong, but that I had a misunderstanding of what home was about, given my circumstances of a mm -hmm. life of, of being bicultural, of a life of, um, of being in between, in between here, uh, meaning not fully belonging in either side, in either space. And I thought of myself as somebody who was always very sad and longing, constant longing, the longing of the exile, right? Being right. an exile is, I think, you know, once you're an exile in a sense that never goes away, there's mm -hmm. this constant longing and dreaming of what, what you think used to be the case, right? Because right. we create a home also. Mm -hmm. uh, well, once we leave it, we are uprooted, we create an image of what it used to be and, and right. it's always better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. Uh -huh. The nostalgia of the exile is like yeah. no other nostalgia, Such a powerful right? force, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I lived with that nostalgia and feeling of isolation and longing and then one day i realized and it was this moment when i thought i am no longer just a sad nicaraguan surviving in the u.s i am a bicultural person and that moment for me signal a new orientation a new direction to my life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, an understanding that home, as beautiful as it can be for a lot of people, is not the magic that we think it is, right? Because, in fact, for many people, home is not necessarily a good place. Mm -hmm. It's it can be a, a place of strife or sadness or um, of norms and practices that want us and like anymore, right? right. And so... Um, this idealization that we have of home gives us those feelings of nostalgia and longing when in reality, um, through our experiences and with time and with the learning of a new language and maybe recognizing that you're starting to feel good talking in that language. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it had to do with understanding a sense of the poetic in english i love poetry yes but i usually just read poetry in spanish but i remember the day when i was reading a poem in english 
And all of a sudden, I got a sense of it in the same way that I get the sense of poetry in Spanish. And I mm -hmm. thought, ah, yeah. this is a new relationship, a new intimacy that I'm acquiring with this weird language, right, that, mm -hmm. that, that used to alienate me. Right. I'm still not completely fluid in a sense because I, I always speak Spanish whenever I can, whenever I have but I do think that it's also my language now and I think that was a big part of it and so no longer a sad Nicaraguan in the U.S. but a bicultural person in the U.S. Right wow what an incredible evolution is the word because that is an experience that I know is is very isolating but also very common which is such a you know a contradiction which is the the starting in the place of fragmentation and being uprooted and the pain there right and now a self that is fragmented and a self that is you know kind of shattered and broken open and kind of belong to one place but now is kind of floating no longer is rooted and then it's just such a testament to like the human spirit, which is then the ability to come to terms with, okay, these forces that acted upon my life that totally shattered my sense of self, my understanding of where I'm from or, you know, where I'm, where I am now. And then the ability to be like, okay, let me incorporate, let me in a way embrace my, my fragmented self now, you know, let me embrace that this is now who I am. It's also very real of you to acknowledge that, you know, the nostalgia for the home is sometimes more beautiful than the home itself as it was when a person had to leave or, or your family had to leave. Um, but it doesn't take away from what that place meant, you know. We romanticize it. We, right. We, we built it. We built it up. And, right. and in a sense, it makes us long for it even more. Mm -hmm. And it leads to a constant dissatisfaction with the now. Right. Because one, it's having one's feet in the past. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not quite rooted in the present. And so I think that it's a way also of maybe, in a sense, honoring the past, thinking that we have to stay committed to it. You know, it's that umbilical core that cannot be cut. And so we think that we, we ought never to cut it. But in reality, we're changing. We're starting to be able to be on our own in other places mm -hmm. and maybe live in the past, in the present, with a vision uh, toward the future. And that future is one where authentic belonging is not possible precisely because of the fragmentation that has happened and the knowledge that there's no way to put all those pieces together in a, in a neat way that right. will always be in that in-between space. Um, I do want to say that I have been very inspired by Gloria Saldua's understanding of the borderlands in the sense that she understands them as this in-between space. And in that in-between space, what we feel are these constant ruptures. For her, the ruptures not only signify pain, but they also signify possibilities of being otherwise. And at the same time, they signify the possibility that we can be strong, that we can be different. And also that we can combine elements from 
both sides to create new things that might it might be even more that might give us even more joy mm-hmm. um, and that might not be as connected to um, norms and practices of our cultures that perhaps we no longer care about or we don't agree with and we would never have known that we didn't agree with them if we had not left yeah yeah exactly. or mm-hmm. yeah i find it i find it all very spiritual in a way um i am not of any faith really but i i do feel very spiritual at times in the sense of like everything you've described right now which is the rupture which then is pain but also allows an opening right an opening for a new way of being a new future new possibilities of joy and understanding of self right and i think i feel like that is the oldest story in in human history but right now it feels like it's it's very new in the case of the us you know with uh the the i would i would say in in the theme of immigration and identity um it feels like people are coming to terms with you know there is a new way of being that's going to be like the future of of living in the us as a person from either you know an immigrant background or a refugee background or anyone who just fills in the in between like i don't know if being in the in between is going to forever be like a marginalized place if anything it might become the next way of being um i see that's an interesting um thought although i do have to say that that experience has been in the us for a long long time i don't think it's a new one uh, perhaps what's new is that more people who experience it are saying we are not going to um assimilate in fact we are going to take all the different parts of ourselves and honor all of them rather than integrating into what's expected uh, of us Uh, because there are so many immigrant stories um, in this country Um, and so um, i think what's different right now is that the the incredible displacement of peoples all over the world the constant uh, waves of migrations um, all over the world um, coming to the us to europe right and so we're having to be much more explicit about these waves and what it means to be uh, one of the people who who is uh, a refugee uh, nations have to figure out how these refugees are going to be treated, how they're going to be respected, and some places are not doing that, right? And so um, what we're seeing is a lot of desperation on the part of refugees uh, insofar as uh, they are not being treated uh, with justice. But the story of being in the in-between, I think, is one that has been with us for a long time. Um, I think those of us who are in that in-between where we're realizing that we, we're going to hold both, right? Um, both cultures or three cultures, nationalities, races, whatever is it that makes us multiple 
uh, as I call it, uh, multiplicity selves, we are less willing to, as I said, assimilate and to erase a lot of those parts, which I think in, in the past, perhaps many people felt that they had to uh, assimilate in order to become white and be thought as white and be part of, of the nation. Yeah. Um, and so I think younger people that I meet are much more interested in talking about their mestizaje, right? Their different, their multiplicity. And they seem to be more comfortable with such multiplicity, despite the fact that it is very painful. And so the comfort comes only insofar as you know that this is a way of being and that it also holds possibility, uh, as difficult as it is. Right. I think you articulated much better what I was trying to get at, because definitely not at all the the in-between experience. It's nothing new. Um, But I think right now, maybe in this moment, the, the shared desire to talk about the multiplicitous self and to say, you know what, I'm going to hold all of these parts, all of these contradictions, I'm going to hold them all together and find other people who can relate, you know, or especially right now with social media or just the way we communicate now, at least, um, yeah, through social media platforms, it's kind of like, well, no, this is my experience and I'm going to validate that and stick by it and tell people. And then other people like say, hey, me too. Yes, and even in theory also, there are more theoretical accounts uh, from people who who are in between, and they have been around. It's just that they have not been given the importance uh, right. that they should have. Uh, women of color in the U.S. have been written about their in-betweenness and their multiplicity, their intersectionality for a long time, and academia didn't always honor their work or um, merely tokenized it. And so now there are more more of us writing about these experiences and theorizing mm-hmm. about them as well. And right. so uh, there will be more conversation about our ways of being, our lives. Um, I think that it's still, though, the case that most people were expected to be the selves that are very unified, that, mm-hmm. are, that don't hold contradictions, right? that it's clear who we are. I see you and I should know what you are, who you are. I hear you. I should know where you're from, right? As if this were a simple uh, thing mm-hmm. to do. And it's not always the case, given the tremendous multiplicity that is um, in our lives. And so um, hopefully uh, there will be more uh, people like you uh, talking about the experience, making podcasts and showing that this is a way of life, that we are here and that um, it's a way of life that carries with it, I think, a complexity that allows us to have lives that are much more um I don't want to say in depth. I don't think in depth is the word, but lives that are um, more layered, uh, a layer in so far as we can have multiple kinds of experiences, standpoints from different places. We can't just see from one perspective only. That is to say, 
this multiplicity allows us to see with different eyes, with many mm -hmm. eyes, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe um, it gives us a, a standpoint, right? As some people have theorized, that allows us to know, to have a better understanding mm -hmm. um, of, of, of different worlds, precisely because we can see from my point of view and from somebody else's point of view. Yeah. And exactly that about being able to see different layers and different worlds. You talk a lot about in your in your work, but that that ability to to see multiple layers, to navigate different worlds. I mean, when you presented it, it kind of I think it first comes from a place of survival, and then it can evolve into a place of it can evolve into an ability that is a positive, right? But you talk about the the consciousness of the new mestiza, you say. Um, and, you know, I liked the term the new mestiza. I think you were talking about from your experience of being Latinx person in the US and how it's like a, a new experience to mestizaje, right? Like what I understand about being mestizo, it was, you know, a way, it's a term that's been around for a long time to describe the experience of having an ethnic mixing of the indigenous people and the Spanish colonizer and how that shaped Latin America for, for generations, right? Like that push and pull between the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, but now, you know, it's like a whole new level of being in between and mixed when you take the Lat Latinx, Latino person and now they're in the US, right? It's a whole new ontological experience. It's like, before, because it was like, I think of Latinos as like, it's, we're already a mixed people, you know, but now places in the US and it's like, we're seen as a whole kind of like we're Latino, but it's like, no, we come from a history too. There was very much about the in-betweenness and mixing. And now, so I re if you could talk more about the new mestiza or new mestizo um, and kind of what, what kind of consciousness does the new mestizo have to have in order to survive? Yes, the term is from Gloria Saldua. Uh, she theorizes this new kind of consciousness that she believes arises from precisely the experience of living in a borderlands. She literally lived in the U.S.-Mexico border, and so her everydayness was marked by these moments, right, of feeling that one doesn't belong, uh, moments of being. Uh, you know, with one foot in one country and the other foot in another country. And so she theorizes that there's this new kind of subject in the world, the new mestiza. And it's precisely a mixed being, but it's not the, the traditional mestizaje, which, by the way, was used in Latin America in order to uh, whiten mm -hmm. Latin Americans, mm -hmm. even though it included mixtures, right? Uh, racial mixtures. For um, Ansaldua, this is a new kind of subject, a new being that has a consciousness that is able to work and cope with the contradictions that come when you have to live in between, when you have to cross the border every day, right? You you are in, in Mexico and you know, think of all the countless of people that work in the U.S. and travel back to Mexico. I mean, there's so many people that do this every day. And also in, in the borders of many other countries, 
people do the same, right? And so for her, it's an ability to be able to recognize this multiplicity and to be able to cope with the ruptures that come with mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. with these multiplicities. Being able to cope with these contradictions is very different than the traditional account of consciousness that says that you have to have a unified sense of self, a neat kind mm -hmm. of self. Um, in terms of the question about who we are as a people in this country, it's a very difficult question. You have, you have terms such as Latinidad, which is a general umbrella that is supposed to capture all of us and puts all of us together. But in reality, as you said, um, we come from many histories, many races, uh, many ethnicities, right? Mm -hmm. uh, many nationalities. There's so much multiplicity uh, in our communities that it's very, very difficult to find a term that does justice to who we are. And so some people have tried the, the, the word Latinidad, uh, but of course that word doesn't capture necessarily uh, all of our communities, especially when we think of Afro-Latinos, mm -hmm. right, are not easily included uh, in Latinidad. Also, now we have a new term, Latinx people. Uh, the X is supposed to honor the fact that uh, there are multiple genders and sexualities in our communities. It's no longer a binary, male, female. Uh, and so the X is supposed to honor that. And that's a great, great um, idea, I think, to, to include that. But at the same time, this is another term that does not do well when considering um, Latinos, Afro-Latinos. And so um, I think that we're still trying to work uh, with um, the terms that we have and changing them to see how we can include the tremendous diversity that exists in our communities. I really, yeah, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up about Latinx and on one front, it does, it is inclusive, but on another, it can still exclude. And also, it's almost, I've heard from some people that, you know, it's it's hard because it's like, the language we have is Spanish, right? And that language comes from the colonizer, right? And that language also keeps the norms of, of the binary between, you know, genders, which is, doesn't really exist. But of course, language in, informs how we present ourselves to the world, right? So I understand the effort of, of Latinx, right, to kind of, you know, use the language of Spanish, but also undo what Spanish has done to, to presentations of self and society. And at the same time, though, I've heard criticisms about that it's like an Anglo, Anglicization, I don't know if that's the word, uh, like a, like it's trying to impose the the changing rules of language that are happening in English right now yes, onto Spanish exactly, exactly. right and yeah. I don't know how how well it's imposed if it's like the same exact situation you know um so it's interesting because even in like queer LGBTQ communities of uh, Spanish-speaking communities that I've I've been in have friends in you know it's a big debate a big discussion because we're working with the tools that we have, which is Spanish, right? And we know where that language comes from and we know the limitations. 
How do we move past those limitations, but at the same time be authentic to who we are, which is so many parts. Um, yeah. The, the term that some people are preferring now is Latine. Yes, e. with an E, and yes. So that, that's so that people um, who do not speak English are able mm -hmm. to honor these differences and uh, not be binary. And so um, it's a difficult issue. I think that some of the arguments against that critique the Latinx have to do precisely with this idea that this is an academic rule that's being imposed not only to communities in Latin America, but also to Latino communities in the U.S. And mm -hmm. that many community, many, many members of our communities who are not in academia do not feel connected to the term at all. They, it's even difficult to pronounce, right? Mm -hmm. How does one say it if you don't speak English, right? right. You won't know to say Latinx. And so, um, there are various issues. And so it seems to me that what we have to do is continue to try to come up with a term that will do justice both mm -hmm. to issues of race, the invisibility of, of, of Latinos uh, when we talk about Latinx and Latinidad, but also the prioritization of academic speech in our communities. And so I think that in the end, we will have to be very careful with the terms that we use and we are going to have to be willing to modify them mm -hmm. as we understand how they are affecting communities. Right. And if, for example, Afro-Latinos don't see themselves in the term Latinx, then we have to figure out ways to change our terminology so that we have terms that are in fact respectful of, of all of our differences. Not an easy thing to do. Not yeah. an easy thing because, yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, just this term kind of like the horizon of our limitations, right? Mm -hmm. Like we know in our hearts and in our spirits, like the world and the, the places and spaces we want to open up and go to. And it's like, we have the, we're, we, we have the tools from the past, you know? So how do we build that new world? with the limitations of what we know or what we have right now. And, you know, I think that's where you just have to keep asking the questions. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about, about again, multiplicitous selfhood, but being a different self in different spaces. This was something you touched a lot on in your, in your book. Um, for example, being in the academic setting in a workplace and then being with family. You know, either back home in Nicaragua or oh, I, I wanted to before uh, I wanted to read a read a quote you put in one of your um, passages. And it says it's about world traveling and you talking about the philosopher Maria Luones. And you say from world to world I go in some worlds I matter. I blossom in others. I am drenched with anxiety. I hide. As I cross, can I carry a bag of bones disclosing who I am? This one tells a story of a long time ago, a time when, hi, and where are you from made no sense. This other is from my ribcage. It was touched by my heart. Perhaps they will find me there. I will find me there. There are teeth in the bag too. They speak philosophy and I am well. 
Thank you. I am those two. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think I was trying to uh, express how it feels to have this multiplicity and to inhabit various worlds where my embodiment, my speech, my ways of being in the world are different Mm -hmm. uh, precisely because of my different histories with the, the different spaces, the different worlds, languages, embodiments, gestures. And so the way I move my face, for example, it's always an interesting thing for me. I'm very expressive. But when I'm in a, in a meeting, um, people always think I'm hyper-expressive. But of course, I'm thinking, well, I am trying, I am being like a, a white scholar right now, trying <laughs> not to show what's going on in my head and I'm thinking I'm doing it but I guess not you know I think our bodies um, move our gestures in different ways yeah uh, depending on the on the comfort the people that you're with and so we do in order to survive in a sense we have to present ourselves uh, differently sometimes Uh, we have to be tactical about it i do know that i cannot be as loud and as funny and as and move my hands as much as i would like to in a, a philosophy department meeting as <laughs> as when i am eating with my family at the table mm-hmm. right we all do this mm-hmm. um, i think all of us um, but for those of us who are bicultural and who have tremendous multiplicity um, and also who might be from marginalized communities uh, where our gestures are not understood or are misread, mm-hmm. then we really have to code switch, right? Because then uh, if we say something in a particular spirited way, we're thought of as being angry, when in reality we're just being spirited about what we're saying. Right. Um, and so I think... Um, the life of the multiplicitous self is one in which you have to learn how to read the cues in your environment and the people and trying to figure out how to present yourself when there is the opportunity to be reflective. Other times it just happens and we don't even think about it, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we mess up. <laughs> uh, and sometimes we are able to be very tactical and handle the differences really well depending on our mood depending on how much energy we have because that's another issue it (laughs) takes a lot of energy to know that the way your gestures are going to be overread misread misrecognized and Mm -hmm. so that you have to be thinking about how not to use so many gestures that's a lot of energy yeah. And so um, it's difficult, and yeah. it is a, a kind of world traveling. Yeah, it's like a, a performance, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like yes. doing the performance, even if it's unconscious, you know, it's not like yes, yes. I know yeah. that I don't always choose to consciously perform, but I do, and it's it's like draining at times. I I leave spaces, or I mean, I'm in a predominantly white institution for college right now, and it's yes, like yes. I couldn't understand at first, like why do I feel so exhausted all the time after 
being in a classroom or like being around certain groups of people. Um, and I just realized like, I always feel like I'm, I'm a version of Noah. It's not like I'm not being myself, but I'm a version that I've, that I've constructed based on the cues I picked up in what's allowed or what's kind of the norm. And I mean, especially in college, because I grew up in Miami and Miami is very much a lot of people from all over, a lot of Very different. <laughs> so the norms that governed were more about class, actually, than race, you know, and more about, I would say, yeah, I, I, it was not so much like race between like white, you know, black and all the categorizations that are in the U.S., um, so yeah, that was a new a new effort that I it just exhausted me. Um, and because you called it a performance, and I think yes, mm -hmm. indeed. And I was thinking that some performances will feel more comfortable than others, right? Mm -hmm. it, yeah. There's still performances, but if we can say that the performance can be comfortable, yeah. Um, some of our body movements, uh, the way we present ourselves are much more comfortable than others. And right. so when we uh, are in spaces where we're being judged negatively mm -hmm. because we're Latinas, then the performance gets more uncomfortable and it's, it's, you don't feel at ease. Yeah, because I think there's even a level, like once you become someone in the in-between, there's even a level of performance you do for the people back in your home country or your homeland, you know? <laughs> that's, that's, it's, it's interesting because you know also that you are no longer fully them or you're no longer fully at home in those spaces and in those gestures, but it feels more comfortable, you know? It is closer to what used to be home or what, what used to feel more natural, so... That's something I'm experiencing right now mm. as I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm staying sure. with, with family in Chile. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, also, I related a lot to what you were saying about in those early years when you were, you were not in the place of feeling at ease or more at ease, I would say, um, in yourself and feeling very much uprooted and in between. The way you would find kind of comfort in, in books and in storytelling and and in a way that's that's traveling worlds right like your physical reality your world that you were in wasn't a home right and so like that effort to make home in maybe an imagined place in an imagined space um i don't know i i i really liked also what you said about like that's a form of resistance you know that's a form of surviving but also like resisting the powers and forces that impose themselves and say you need to be categorized as this or you need to belong here or you're an other right like air quotes other you don't belong um yeah i don't know if that's still a part of like just who you are is finding is. yourself in other I, worlds <laughs> i i i for me reading um learning but reading novels and poetry has been a key in my life. And I think it's what saved me. Mm -hmm. And of course, then I found philosophy and given the existential questions that rose from my uprooting uh, at an early age, I was, I wanted to read more philosophy, but I always continued to travel the worlds of literature mm -hmm. uh, and it is. It feels very comfortable to 
continue to travel through the books as I recognize that I don't belong fully anywhere or I'm not expected to, I'm not expecting myself to belong that way. So I allow myself to travel and to um, record, Paul record this amazing philosopher thought that novels were laboratories for self-making <laughs> in a sense, right? That you are <laughs> helping to create your own self by learning about the lives of others, of the characters, right? That you're reading in the books. Right, right. That is to say, art, aesthetics, um, the artistic plays a big role in helping us define ourselves, become what we want to become, and also to keep us open to understanding that uh, we might have to be different. And this doesn't mean that we're changing all the time as if we're changing articles of clothing every day. No, it just means that um, reality is complex. And so mm -hmm. our, our, our lives, especially when we uh, know about many cultures and we have many different worlds that we have to negotiate, uh, academic, familial, political, etc. And so we we have to learn, and hopefully not just to survive in that multiplicity, but also to find some joy, um, and even to thrive sometimes. Yeah. Oh, that's very very poetic, very beautiful the way you put that. All right. So just to close on that note, it's people like you, <laughs> and your work, who I get I gave me so much hope but I think can give the world so much hope and kind of forge the new direction that, that people like us can move towards, you know? Um, in a strange way, in you sharing your story about not feeling at home, I felt at home. And, um, <laughs> and also, it also helped me realize like home is within me now because once I feel at ease in myself, like, and it takes a lot of work, you know, um, there's many forces and factors always telling me that I don't belong. Um, but I don't know, just coming across your work, coming across your very honest and vulnerable sharing of, of these experiences, it, it just, it's amazing. So um, thank you. Thank you very much for everything you've said today. Well, I want to thank you for the podcast. And I want to thank you for being a young person who's interested in the questions and thinking more and being more and uh, tackling a difficult issue, right? A, 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 a issue that's very personal, but, it, but it's also very political as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's also very theoretical and existential. And I think that we need more conversations. We need more young people to talk about these issues and to reveal themselves to each other in all their multiplicity uh, with all the ruptures that are there in order to see if you can build community and find ways to resist, to help each other, to create other laboratories of self-making, right? And so um, I thank you for engaging and for reading my work and taking it seriously. I wrote it in a sense because I had all these issues within me and I didn't think that philosophy would give me the opportunity to say these things and 
I was writing a book that was very much more traditional. And I remember one friend of mine telling me, Mariana, write the book that you want to write. Mm -hmm. And the book that I wanted to write, I found out, was one which mixed, you know, theory, but with also with some personal experiences that I know I feel, but that I know other people feel. And I wanted philosophy to be able to tell that story as well. So I'm glad that young people like you are picking it up and hopefully um, it will help somehow. Thank you. The In-Between Project is recorded in Miami, Florida and Santiago, Chile. Produced and edited by me, Noah Richard. Music is composed by Diego Richard. The In-Between Project is a podcast made for the nonprofit organization Humanity in Action. Check out more from The In-Between Project at our Instagram, link down below in the transcript, or send me a message to my Instagram or email, also linked down below. <laughs>